This recording is intended to be used as an educational resource for healthcare providers. It is in no way a substitute for the independent decision making and judgment of a qualified healthcare professional. It should not be used to make a diagnosis or to overrule the advice of a qualified healthcare provider, nor should it be used to provide advice for emergency medical treatment. Ventilator Safety Assessment by Kevin Bullock Healthcare workers in all healthcare settings should always adhere to the latest World Health Organization guidelines on hand hygiene and barrier precautions before and after contact with a patient, bodily fluids, or patient surroundings. For more information, please watch our video entitled Hand Hygiene. Hi, my name is Kevin Bullock. I'm a clinical supervisor in the Department of Respiratory Care at Boston Children's Hospital. And this will be a lecture on the comprehensive patient ventilator safety assessment that will be broken up into two parts, the patient and the ventilator. Overview. The purpose of the ventilator safety assessment is to ensure proper humidification and circuit function, ensure appropriate ventilator function, ensure that the settings are appropriate for the patient's size and disease state, also again to ensure optimal patient ventilator interaction, and most importantly, to ensure changes in status will alert clinicians, or our alarm assessment. Circuit function. We will start with assessment of the ventilator circuit. Is it the appropriate size for the patient? We have three ranges of ventilator circuits available to us. The neonatal size, the pediatric size, and the adult size. Circuit sizes may coincide with the patient mode selection on our ventilators. The neonatal circuit may be used in premature infants less than 1 kilogram up to patients weighing 15 kilograms. At 15 kilograms, we may move up to the pediatric tubing and the pediatric mode selection. Pediatric circuits and mode selection may be used up to the 35 kilogram mark. At 35 kilograms, we move up to the adult circuit and mode selection. Depending on the ventilator model used at your institution, you may have various circuit sizes and patient modes to choose from. It is always best to consult the operator's manual for patient mode selection and governing parameters. Next, we need to assess if our ventilator circuit is a heater wire circuit or a non-heated wire circuit. Does it contain a water trap and temp probes? We will assess if the connections are tight so that we do not have any undue leaks in the system. Part of the circuit assessment, when you initially set up your patient on the ventilator, is to conduct a pre-use check. This pre-use check generally encompasses a leak check, a pressure performance check to assess circuit integrity. It will also calculate your tubing compliance and compressible volume loss so that you may calculate effective tidal volume. The pre-use check will also assess the pneumotachometer within the ventilator. It will zero it and ensure that it is functioning properly. The last stage of a pre-use check is to assess oxygen cell function. A zero must be conducted. If it is an internal analyzer, this procedure will be done within the ventilator during the pre-use check. If it is an external analyzer, it is up to the clinician to calibrate their oxygen sensor. I recommend that any FiO2 greater than 60% be calibrated to 100%, and if it is less than 60%, to calibrate to room air, or 21%. 
There are also analyzers available that may require a two-point calibration, in which case the clinician would conduct both a 100% FiO2 calibration as well as a 21% room air calibration. As part of our circuit assessment, we may have adjunct monitoring and or equipment attached to the ventilator circuit. These are all sources of a leak and should be considered for erroneous measurements or collection of condensate. Many institutions monitor end tidal CO2. We should perform a functional verification of the end tidal CO2 monitor by zeroing and referencing. We also may use an inline suction catheter on our patients. We need to ensure that this is the appropriate size for the endotracheal tube, that all the connections are tight, the installation ports are closed, and that the suction button is turned to the locked position when not in use. We may also add nebulizers to our ventilator circuit. We need to assess that they are functioning properly and their connections are tight so they are not a source for leak. Furthermore, we may be conducting metabolic studies on our patients and these metabolic carts need to be connected to our ventilator circuit. They will have a sample rate depending on the device used and also be a source of leaks. As we assess our integrity of our circuit, we also need to note circuit positioning and support. This needs to be optimized to reduce torque on the airway, pressure on the skin, and drainage of condensate away from the patient. Humidification. Once we have assessed that our circuit is intact, the position is appropriate, we move on to assessing our humidifier function. Humidification can be active or passive. Passive humidification is generally for short-term use and utilizes a heat moisture exchanger, or HME. When using an HME, we must ensure that it is being changed routinely as most can be used safely for up to 48 hours. We must also assess that the HME is clear of secretions or excess condensate that may increase resistance to patient airflow. The majority of mechanical ventilation will require active humidification. We need to assess that there is sufficient sterile water for inhalation, and I recommend that it is changed with 10% or less remaining to avoid running a circuit dry. We also need to ensure that our humidifier is set to the appropriate mode for the patient application. Nowadays, most humidifiers and mechanical ventilators can accommodate both invasive and non-invasive ventilation, making this assessment very important. The choice will dictate our available temperature settings and the amount of humidity held by the gas. Remember, the warmer the temperature, the greater the amount of humidity carried by the gas. The goals of humidification are to reach 100% relative humidity with an absolute humidity ranging from 33 milligrams of water per liter to 44 milligrams of water per liter. Invasive temperature settings should be in a range of 34 to 41 degrees Celsius and non-invasive temperature settings should be in a range of 28 to 34 degrees Celsius. We can set lower temperatures in the non-invasive mode because the upper airways are available to contribute natural heat and humidification. The invasive setting requires higher temperatures because we are bypassing the body's natural heat and humidification. We should note minimal condensation in the tubing, and if there is excess of condensation in the tubing, we should note this and adjust our humidifier accordingly to try to lessen. Always drain condensate away from your patient and make a note if this condensation buildup has contributed to auto-triggering. The final assessment of adequate humidification for your patient is the secretion assessment. 
we should assess the relative thickness of the secretions every time we are suctioning our patients to ensure that they are not getting too thick or creating plugs. Adjusting our humidification may help to improve the thickness of these secretions and the ease of removal. Ventilator function. Next, we move on to assessing ventilator function. We need to assess if what is set is measured. There may be some variation depending on patient synchrony and disease state. In general, we should expect to see our peak inspiratory pressure plus or minus two centimeters of water above our set pressure. Our positive end expiratory pressure should also be plus or minus two centimeters of water around our set positive end expiratory pressure. Our frequency should also be plus or minus two breaths from our set mechanical frequency. This will certainly vary with a spontaneously breathing patient. Our pressure support value should also be plus or minus two centimeters of water around our set pressure support value. Our fraction of inspired oxygen should be plus or minus 6%. Most ventilators have internal alarms that will alert us of a discrepancy in measured versus set FiO2. If you have an external analyzer, you may set those alarms on your own. If we are in a volume controlled mode of ventilation, tidal volume assessment should be plus or minus 10% of the set tidal volume. We need to assess if these settings and monitored values are appropriate for patient size and disease state. I will refer you to Barry Grenier's Open Pediatrics lecture on initial ventilator settings for guidance on appropriate settings for disease state and patient size. Perhaps most importantly in this assessment is are the tidal volumes appropriate? Can the waveforms tell you about the patient and the patient ventilator interaction? Is the end tidal CO2 appropriate for the patient's disease state? Do we understand the arterial to end tidal CO2 gradient and what may be causing it? Alarms. Finally, we will move on to our alarms. We have assessed that the ventilator is functioning properly and there are no major leaks in our system, so we should be able to appropriately set our alarms. Each institution should standardize alarm settings based on ventilator settings and monitored parameters. First and foremost, alarm settings should be safe for the patients. However, alarm settings should be adjusted in such a way that nuisance alarms are reduced to prevent alarm fatigue for clinicians. And here is a chart of suggested alarm settings based on your measured values. Also as part of your alarm assessment should be to test the disconnect alarm of the ventilator. This is important to alert clinicians in case of an inadvertent disconnection of any portion of the ventilator circuit or an unplanned extubation. Lastly, we should conduct a battery test if the ventilator has an internal battery. We do this by unplugging the ventilator from the wall and ensuring that the ventilator alarms to alert clinicians that it is now in battery operation. We will then plug the ventilator back in. Patient ventilator interaction. Next, we will assess the integrity of our ventilator circuit and its attachment to our patient's endotracheal tube. We want to ensure that it is tightly connected to the endotracheal tube and all fittings at the Y are tightly in place. This is a heated wire circuit, so it has a proximal temp probe closest to the patient at the Y. 
We need to ensure the cap is on any adjunct pressure monitoring ports and then work our way down the circuit towards the humidifier. Next, we will move on to assessment of the humidifier. When we assess our humidifier function, we first need to start by assessing the amount of sterile water for inhalation available. Once we have determined the water is sufficient, we can move on to ensure that it is in the appropriate mode, the invasive or non-invasive mode. Our patient is intubated and this particular humidifier indicates an endotracheal tube. We must also assess the temperature setting and ensure that it is appropriate for the mode that it is in. Lastly, our temp probe must be assessed on the top of our humidifier column. When we assess the temperature probe on our humidifier column, we are ensuring that it is adequately placed within the circuit to prevent leaks, and we can also eyeball the beginning of our circuit for the collection of a minimal amount of condensate. Depending upon the humidifier used at your institution, your humidifier may automatically adjust the temperature gradient between your column and your circuit or you may manually adjust that gradient between the column and the circuit to minimize rainout. When conducting our ventilator safety assessment, we want to ensure that a pre-use check has been conducted and a circuit integrity test has been completed. Ventilators have very specific procedures to conduct these tests, and you will refer to the user manual of the ventilator at your institution. If this is an assessment on a patient already being ventilated, we just would like to ensure that the pre-use check had been conducted prior to initiation of ventilation. Before we begin ventilating our patient, we want to ensure that the appropriate patient size mode has been selected. In this case, it is the adult mode. Ventilators will have various user interfaces. These user interfaces allow us to assess our set ventilator settings, our monitored parameters, and our waveforms. As part of our ventilator safety assessment, we want to ensure that our set parameters are monitored. In this case, we are on a peak inspiratory pressure of 25 over 5 of po positive end expiratory pressure. Looking at our monitored values, the peak inspiratory pressure is 26 which is within our standard of plus or minus two centimeters of water. Our monitored PEEP is five centimeters of water, which is what is set. Our monitored respiratory rate is 16, which is what is set. Our monitored FiO2 is 41%, set at 40, within our standard of plus or minus 6%. You may also note on this ventilator, in our tidal volume readings and our minute ventilation, there is an orange C and an orange box around these, indicating that tubing compliance is being compensated for. Also another indication that a pre-use check has been completed. The final portion of our ventilator safety assessment is to adjust our alarms based on our monitored parameters. On this particular ventilator, our monitored parameters are displayed as we adjust our alarms. You may use a peak inspiratory pressure alarm 5 to 10 centimeters above your set 
PIP. In this case, we are set at 25, and my alarm is set at 35. For minute ventilation of 2.1, we will set our low minute ventilation alarm at half of the minute ventilation, or one liter per minute, and our high minute ventilation at two times our minute ventilation, or four liters per minute. We are also on a set respiratory rate of 16, and we will use half of that for our low respiratory rate alarm, and twice that for our high respiratory rate alarm. For our positive end expiratory pressure alarms, we should set those two centimeters of water above and below our set PEEP. In this case, we are set at five, so our alarms are set at three and seven centimeters of water. On most ventilators, you may also adjust the alarm volume. In this case, we are set at 100%. And a final safety check is your apnea time in the case that your patient is spontaneously breathing and has an apneic episode. As another part of our alarm assessment and our ventilator safety check, we must assess the disconnect alarm to alert us of any disconnections in our patient circuit. If your patient is stable enough, you may conduct this safety check at any time. However, if your patient is on a substantial amount of support and does not tolerate disconnection, you may wait for this check until you are suctioning the patient or they require manual ventilation. If they are stable, you may disconnect at any point on the circuit. As part of our safety inspection, we should make note of the last preventative maintenance inspection performed by biomedical engineering and when the next assessment is due. Clinicians should pull or not use any machine that has gone beyond its preventative maintenance or safety inspection. Proper function and performance testing is necessary to ensure the highest quality of care and safety is provided to our patients. The last portion of our ventilator safety assessment is to assess the function of the internal batteries if applicable. To do this, we must unplug the ventilator from the wall and assess that the ventilator alarms and tells us battery operation has taken over. And this concludes our ventilator safety assessment. This recording is a production of Open Pediatrics, a free and open access resource for pediatric clinicians worldwide. For more pediatric care materials or to join our global community, please visit our website at openpediatrics.org.